is looking for someone who will stand. And uh, we've talked about equality. We've talked about standing for revival. Last week, we talked about the lost. In fact, I want you to read with me Jesus' words of why he came to this earth. Here's what he said in Luke 19.10. Ready? Everyone read it with me. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus wants to save the lost. I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, you came, you died on a cross so that you could seek and save the lost. Lord, in every, many, many people in this room, we can say with joy that we've been found, that we've been saved. So I pray, speak to us and help us to be like Jesus, to go after the lost, to go after the one. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as I thought about this weekend, I was going to move on to one more area to focus on, and I just could not get away from what we talked about last week, and that was that God wants us to stand for the lost. And as I began to think about the statistic I shared, I felt like I needed to share it again. And that statistic is this, that 93% of Christians will die and go to heaven never having shared their faith. Think about that. 93% of people that come to church that say they're a believer, they die, they go to heaven. And when they get to heaven, here's kind of how I think it's going to go down. You're going to see Jesus. He's going to give you a big hug. You're going to be so full of joy. He's going to say, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to be like, I'm glad to be here. And then he's going to say, so who'd you bring with you? Because Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And then he went on to say, and if you have to leave the 99, go after the one. And he said, so here's what you're supposed to do. Do what I did. Go into the world and share the love of Jesus, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Leave the 99 and go after the one. I've called you here. The purpose that you're on earth is not just to have kids and have a house and live a life. It's to make sure that the lost have been found. And so we've been challenging you and encouraging you to be people that stand for the lost. And this week, I want to just shift it a little bit and say, I believe God wants us to stand for the one, to leave the 99 and go after the one. We're going to look at that verse in a little bit, but I want to start by going to a story. And a story in this passage in John is where Jesus literally went after the one. It was a woman. Many of you know this story. The woman came to a well. Jesus had sat down. He was on his way to a certain place. He was tired, had been traveling. He sits at the well and uh, had sent his disciples into town. We'll talk about that in a minute. And a woman comes up who's a Samaritan. And he begins to talk to her. And he says, hey, could you give me a drink of water? They begin to converse. And as they do, he tells her, hey, he tells her the water that actually if I gave you a drink, you would never be thirsty again. And he begins to tell her things about her life. And she can't believe it and realizes that he's a prophet. And they begin to talk. And he eventually tells her, I am the Messiah. And you can find eternal life through me. And the Bible says that she ends up believing. And she even goes back to her town. And many people from her village come and believe in Jesus. Jesus went after the one. And now what I want to do is I want to pick up on the story after this conversation, after he goes after the one, because what happens in the rest of the story, I believe there are some principles there that will help you and I to learn why we need to go after the one or what stops us from going after the one. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of the 93%. I want to be part of the 7%. I want that percentage to grow, that a higher vision, 50%, 75%. 
100% of Christians die and go to heaven having shared their faith and brought someone with them. Come on, say amen. So let's dive into our story. We're going to pick up in the book of John chapter 4. What had happened is Jesus sat down. They had traveled for a long way and they were hungry. And so when they get to the edge of the village, he tells the disciples, you guys go on into the village and uh, get me something from in and out. I think if you look closely in the Greek, it's in there somewhere. He's like, and then they're like, well, what do you want, Jesus? And he says, well, I want a number two, I want a double-double, and I want a vanilla shake, and give me the, the uh, animal fries. Come on, anybody love the animal fries? And so he's all excited probably because, you know, in and outs on the way. The disciples are on their way to get some in and out for Jesus. If Jesus had an in and out, I am sure that that's where he would go. Forget Jack in the Box, McDonald's, who are going to in and out. Come on, and everybody said amen. amen. So the disciples are on their way to get some food. And when they come back, they see that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. Let's read what happens. Then his disciples came back. They're carrying the drink holder with, you know, the, the, the large diet Coke and a root beer and a chocolate and vanilla shake. They've got, you know, the bags in their arms. And they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. In that culture, it was not appropriate to talk to a woman in public. So they're surprised and shocked that he's talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? I want to give you the first reason why I think a lot of people die and go to heaven that are Christians and never share their faith. It's because they've forgotten something, that the one is important. And here's what we need to know, is that the one is more important. Guys, if you pull that up, the one is more important than my fear. The one is more important than my fears. You see, I believe Jesus stayed at the well. He could have went with them to in and out but he didn't. By the way, he didn't really go to in and out but you all know what I'm saying. He stayed where he was. Why? Because he was wanting to go after the one. He knew this woman was coming. And when the disciples show up, they kind of show us a mindset that the church has or that a lot of Christians have. And that's this. Well, if he talks to her, how is this going to look? Or, or if, what if he reaches out and talks to them and then they reject him? What if I go after the one and, and I get rejected? What if I invite someone and they turn me down? Or what if I reach out to someone that, that's not like me and, and it looks bad? And you see, what happens is they begin to say, well, wait a minute. This doesn't look good, Jesus. This, this, it's not appropriate protocol to talk to a woman in public. How many of you have ever met someone that's just really into protocol? Come on, right? And they're like, Jesus, you don't realize the optics here. You don't realize what it's going to look like if you talk to this woman because you're not really supposed to. First of all, she's Samaritan, and we don't even like Samaritans. We don't talk to Samaritans. But secondly, he's a, she's a woman. Jesus, it doesn't look good. You're, you see, it's interesting. It's amazing to me how Jesus didn't care about the protocol. He wasn't afraid of what it was going to look like. He cared about the one more than he cared about the optics. I mean, he, he met with sinners. He met with the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, which probably a modern-day comparison would be him meeting with um, drug cartel leaders and sex traffickers. 
Wait a minute, what's it going to look like if I talk to them? What's it going to look like? And what happens is a lot of us, we're not willing to reach out to people. Maybe there's someone on your campus that everybody makes fun of, but I'm not going to go talk to them and invite them to church because if I do, what is it going to look like? They're going to start calling me names. What if I invite that person and talk to that person across the street that always has the signs on their front yard for that political party that I think is crazy? Some of you thought liberal, some of you thought conservative. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but if I go over there, what are people going to think? If, if I talk to that homeless guy, what's he going to do? Is he going to ask me for money? This is uncomfortable. Can I? And we don't realize how that our fears hold us back because we don't realize that the one is more important than our fear. Here's the problem. How many know we live in a politically correct, a PC culture? And I think the PC culture is destroying Christians. You know why? Because here's the problem with PC culture. PC culture says, well, I can't say that. I can't do that because what is it going to look like? And here's the problem. Is a PC culture, care is filtered through me. Now suddenly I'll care if I look good at it. I'll care if people can, I can get a photo op for it. I'll care if no one questions my associations. And what has happened? We've turned the the faith all all into us, and it's all become about me. But how many know that when it comes to the kingdom, it's not about me, it's about we? God wants us to love others. He said, love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. And so what happens, we become afraid, and then when we get afraid, our fears cause us to start making excuses. Right? And so we start making excuses like the disciples did. We start judging. It's like, Jesus, that's a Samaritan. You you can't talk to her, you know. And and so we we do the same thing. Well, you can't really reach out to them. You can't invite them. You can't do a circle with them because they'll reject you. Or even if you do, you got to realize they made that decision. They made their bed. They should sleep in it. They're responsible for their actions. They deserve it. And what starts happening is we start judging. Well, she's a Samaritan. You know, it's funny. Um, let me just kind of explain it this way. Not long ago, Devette comes home and she comes into the, to the, the bedroom. And she comes into the bedroom. She's like, what is going on? Because when she walks in, our bed is torn up. I mean, pillows are everywhere. There's sheets pulled back. The bed is a mess. And I mean, I'm literally saying pillows are everywhere because our bed has thousands of pillows on it. I'm not joking. We have 13 pillows on our bed. Come on, do we have any men in the house that know my pain, feel my pain? And here's the thing. When it comes to the bed, the bed has to be perfect, right? It's like the pillows can't be on there in a, you know, in a random order. They have to be in the exact spot where they're supposed to be. The pillows have to be fluffed. The pillowcases have to be pulled up and flipped around the back so that you can't see. Everything has to be perfect. Because if not, you're sleeping on the couch. And so, so I, you know, she comes walking in, and the, the, it looks like a, an explosion has happened in the bed because sheets are pulled everywhere, pillows are all over the place. She walks around the corner, and outside of my closet, there's stuff all over the floor. And as, she, as she's listening, she hears like, she's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I can't find it. I can't find it. She's like, what are you talking about? And what had happened 
is we had this gold coin that was worth several thousand dollars. And I'd had it that morning because I was going to do something. We are going to take it to the bank and do some things for investment purposes. And somehow I lost the coin. And so suddenly the bed didn't matter anymore. Because I knew I'd been in the bed. I knew I'd been in my closet. I'm going through, you know, literally clothes that I thought I'd worn. I'm going through the pockets. I'm looking underneath. I'm digging through stuff. I mean, the house is a disaster. And praise God, I found it. You know where? It was in my pocket the whole time. Because here's really the thought I'm trying to make. And the point I'm trying to make is that you won't look for what is lost if you don't think it's valuable. And the reality is that a lot of times our fear causes us to begin to make justifications, prejudices, and the next thing you know is suddenly it's not really that important to reach out to them because they're bad people or they've made bad decisions or you know what, does God, it, and so what we do is we, we don't really care. And a lot of times it's because we're really just afraid. Afraid it'll look bad. Afraid it'll be too hard. Afraid they won't hear us. Afraid we'll look stupid when we try to do it. We made it all about us. You know, I got to tell you something. When it comes to the loss, Jesus said when he's sitting at that well, I don't care about food. I don't care about what it looks like. There's, there's, there's one that's lost. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find him. I don't care about the protocol. A few years ago, when we started Higher Vision Church, we had um, helped the local elementary school do their talent show. And we provided all of the sound equipment. And, and uh, I played the keyboard for people that wanted to sing. And we had people running the cameras and the sound equipment. And, and so after the event was done, the next week later, I get an email. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase the email. And in the email, there's a, a, a letter. And here's what it says. It says, Dear um, Pastor Ming, first of all, thank you for all that you guys did Higher vision for the local school shows your heart. She kind of talked like that. And she said, and I wanted to let you know that I'm turning 50 and I'm evaluating my life. One of the things I've realized is that I love music. And I've kind of put it away. And I want to pull it back out again. And watching you play and hearing about your church, I realized and have heard you have a choir. And that you sing gospel songs. And I love gospel music. Now, before I ask this question, I need to make something clear I'm not a Christian, I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in God, but I would love to sing. Would you be willing to allow me to join your choir? Sincerely, the infidel. And so I got the email and, and started thinking about it. And I went to my team, I'm like, guys, guess what? The infidel is gonna join our choir. <laughs> And I got to tell you, there's some people that are a part of the team that are looking at me like, but wait a minute, Pastor Jared, that's not protocol. I mean, singing in front of the congregation is a holy thing to stand on the stage. They should be a believer, and this is holy ground. I mean, we shouldn't even have shoes on when we're up there. I mean, the presence of God is here. They need to have been trained. They need to have gone through growth track, and they need to have led a circle, and they need to have had some training and equipping, and they need to be a Christian, and they need to stand in front of the people as a representative of Jesus this person is an infidel. That's what was going through a lot of people's minds. That's not protocol. How's that, how's that going to look to have atheists and agnostics in the choir? 
And we'll forget. I'm like, guys, what better place for them to hear about the love of Jesus? Then on a stage where the Holy Spirit is and where God is moving and where the word is being preached and the presence of God is, I said, guys, guess what? An infidel is joining the choir. (laughs) Forget protocol. We're going to go after the one. And so guess what? Two or three weeks later, we sang a special song with the choir and guess who was in the choir? Right in the middle, the infidel. Now this is her word, not mine. I'm just using the word she used. And you know the end of the story. Two or three weeks later, she raises her hand. She accepts Jesus. She eventually becomes a circle leader and plays her guitar and helps lead worship for circles and small groups in our women's ministry, helps us build things for our prayer events. The one is more important than my fear of what people think, of what the protocol is. What's holding you back? Is it your fear? Here's the second thing, and that is this. The one is more important than my comfort. The one is more important than my comfort. So Jesus is sitting there, right? And they're all worried about what's it going to look like if he talks to a woman. He's like, forget the protocol. We're going after the one. And then after she, you know, makes a decision to believe, she goes back and brings people. And as she leaves, the disciples start talking to him. So she's gone back to the village to get more people to come and hear the message. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging Jesus, Rabbi, you need to eat something. They're like, Jesus, the, your burger's getting cold and the, the shake is melting. Come on, man, that's gold right there. If you don't drink it, I'm going to drink it. Come on, have you ever been there? Like, dude, those, are you going to eat those fries? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. So they're like, hey, it's, uh, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus says, now watch, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And of course, they're like, well, did someone bring him Jack in the box? I mean, what happened while we were gone? Someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples ask each other. Then Jesus explained, no, no, what you need to understand is my satisfaction, my nourishment, my joy, my fulfillment comes not from eating some food, but from doing the will of God. You see, I'm more satisfied... I'm willing to set aside my comfort and be hungry because there's a joy, a fulfillment that's so much more rich when you reach the one. I'm fulfilled from doing the will of God. Go back to that last verse, guys. Doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. It's interesting because Jesus sat down at this place and he was tired And he was hungry. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 earlier on. And you know what he could have said? He could have said, you know what? I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to rest. There's a lot of things I have to do. But instead he said, you know what? I'm going to set aside my comfort because I'm going to go after the one. And when he does, what does he tell his disciples? He's like, guys, you're missing it. Because here's what you don't realize. There's so much joy in going after the one. There's so much joy when you see a life change, when you see someone accept Christ, when you see someone call out to God. There's so much fulfillment that's far beyond any kind of discomfort you might feel. It's interesting. I was thinking about kind of this idea. Um, 
we were singing actually um, an opening for, I think it was either Cutlass or Michael W. Smith, I forget which year it was, and we were at the Fresno Fair, and we were at the venue there, and we had done our warm-up and had our practice, and we're waiting for them to do their, theirs, and right next to the theater was a bungee jumping uh, thing, and you pay so much money, and they said, hey, you guys are part of the act, we'll let you do it for free. So all the people in the band, 20-somethings, they're all like, oh, we're going to bungee jump. And they're like, Pastor Jared, you need a bungee jump. You got to do it. Come on, you got to do it. But see, they weren't afraid of heights. But I was. And so they're like, you got to do it. You got to do it. I'm like, no, I don't have to do it. And they're like, no, no, you got to do it. You got to do it. And then they like start working me. We're like, hey, she's a girl and she's going to do it. And you're a guy and you can't even do it. Chicken. I mean, they were working the whole thing. So finally, I caved to peer pressure. And I get up on this lift and they take me 200 feet in the air. And now when I get, you know, five feet off the ground, my stomach gets all queasy and I, I'm like all dizzy and I just, it bothers me. And I get up there and I'm standing on the edge and I have this girl standing next to me from the band and she's like, are you ready? And I'm like, no. She's like, come on, come on. And she's like, whoa. And she just takes off and she just drums. And I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. I, I was like, I couldn't do it. Finally because they started again mocking me from the ground <laughs> and telling me, she did it and you can't. And then the competitive guy inside of me couldn't take that. And so finally, I jumped. And when I did, it was awesome. I mean, I was flying through the air and you went down and came back up and I was like, whoa, and I was laughing. And it was this, it was this really, really fun moment because what I figured out is that the thrill was worth the sacrifice. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, there's a joy, there's a fulfillment that you will experience when you get past your discomfort. It's there's a nourishment, there's a peace, there's a fulfillment that you've never known until you learn to do the will of God and to go after the one. In fact, can I show you real quickly? Let's talk about this discomfort thing for just a second. Let's go to Jesus talking about leaving the 99 and going after the one. Let's look at it. It's found in the book of Luke. He says this. He said, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Let me pause right there. Here's what's interesting. Is what he says is, is, listen, when one is lost, the shepherd, the only one he can think about is the lost. And he's willing to leave the safety of being with the other shepherds. He's willing to, to leave the warmth by the campfire. He's willing to leave the safety of the wilderness and, he, and instead go out into where there's um, ravines and there's mountains and there's wolves. Put himself at risk because that's how important. He's willing to be, put himself in a place of discomfort to go after the one. In fact, and then when he finds him, He'll throw that sheep on his shoulders. Now, I don't know if you realize how uncomfortable that is, because I have a picture here, and what I discovered is that an adult sheep weighs somewhere between 160 and 180 pounds. Come on, having a stinky, sweaty, (laughs) over the back of the nap of your neck, 180 pounds, carrying it up hills and through valleys is uncomfortable. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, sometimes you have to have the courage to say, God, I know that the thrill 
is more important than my comfort. That your will is more important than my comfort. That's why as a church, we're getting ready to launch Canyon Country Campus. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to know that we're going to launch a service at the same time as this service at Canyon High School in their theater. And that we're going to spend thousands of dollars that we've got to figure out where to come up with the money to do it. We're going to have to raise money to get there. That we're going to have to buy equipment that people are going to have to come early and set up and tear down and be a part of the team. It's like putting a a big sheep on the back of your neck that's sweaty and it's it's work and it takes effort. But you realize that, and for me, I'm going to have to, for the first six months to a year, I'm going there live. And so you're going to see me on video from there preaching back to you. Why? Because maybe you need to and maybe I need to get a little uncomfortable because there's some lost people that need to know that Jesus loves them. Because his will is more important than my comfort. Some of you, I believe Pastor James is going to be spearheading this campus and helping us lead that with all of our team. We're going to have our worship teams rotating back and forth. It's going to be just like this service. I'm going to be there live for a while because here's the reality is that there are some lost who need to be found. And so we've made a decision as a church, all of our leaders, team members, financial budgeting, planning. Okay, we're going to get this, we're going to get uncomfortable. If we have to walk through a valley, if we have to walk over a mountain, the one is more important than my comfort. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Now, I'll end this story with Jesus because it doesn't end there. He talks about leaving the 99 and going after the one. And then when you find it, watch what happens. It says that when he arrives, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. He says that there's a celebration that happens. And then he goes on to explain What's really taking place when you and I have the courage to go out and bring people into church and share our faith? He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. In fact, it says it in one translation this way, that all of heaven rejoices when just one sinner repents more than the 99 righteous people who do not repent. Heaven rejoices. When just one person repents. See, basically what happens is is that every time that you're willing to go after the one, as soon as God sees it start to happen, literally this is what happens. I think a a light goes off in heaven. Woo, 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 woo. Suddenly the planning committee, the party planning committee in heaven comes together. They're like, guys, get ready. It's coming. It's coming. Easter is almost here at Higher Vision Church. Quick, Peter, grab yours. Peter grabs his. Say, like, Paul, get yours on. Put your hat on. Put your hat on. Jesus, you have your hat on. Jesus, get your hat on. Where's God's hat? Where's God's hat? Somebody get God's hat. People are running around getting hat. You think I'm joking, but the Bible says that all of, think about it. They're in the glory of God. They're beholding his glory as he sits on the throne. Jesus Christ and his, the angels of heaven are all there. They're celebrating, they're rejoicing and, 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 and experiencing what God has prepared for them. And then suddenly one lost person, one lost person raises their hand or says, I want to follow Jesus. And suddenly heaven shuts down. 
And everybody puts their hat on. And everybody gets ready. And they're like, it's coming. It's coming. Pastor Jared, he's getting ready to give that altar call. It's the second service at Higher Vision Church. Come on, everybody. You think I'm joking? You think Jesus is joking? He says, listen, all of heaven rejoices. And what happens? You guys know what happens on the count of three. As soon as that person raises their hand and they pray the prayer, what happens? One, two, three. starts in heaven you think I'm joking heaven celebrates a party happens every time the lost is found as I begin to think about it do you realize just through higher vision church there have been over 42,000 parties in heaven since higher vision church began because what Jesus is trying to teach us is that the one is more important than our comfort. The one is more important than our fear. And I want to give you the last thought. Some of you are like, is he ever going to take that hat off? <laughs> no, I'm not. Not right now. <laughs> but I can't hear what he's trying to tell me. Because I'm not done. I'm going to give you the last thought. The last thought is this. The, more is portent, the, the one is more important than my timetable. I want to go back to the story where Jesus is at the well. And he first of all shows the disciples, hey, don't let your fear stop you. Don't let optics and protocol stop you. Don't, don't, don't let your comfort stop you. And he begins to talk about this life that was changed. This woman comes and a whole village turned their lives over to Jesus. And then he ends by teaching this principle. Look what he says. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is, is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits, look at this, both the planter and the harvester. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. So I sent you to harvest where you didn't even plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Here's basically what Jesus says. First of all, he says, here's the deal, guys. The problem is that a lot of us we're waiting and saying, well, in four months, it'll be time to harvest. But right now, we have other things to do. Eventually, Pastor Jared, I'll get one of those bags. One of these years, I'll do one of those circles around the city. But you don't realize that we're going to go on vacation that week. We're doing a big thing with the family. We're going to have a party. Or you know what? We do a big barbecue, Pastor Jared. I can't bring, I can't serve two or three services on a, on a weekend at Higher Vision Church. You don't understand. Have you seen the barbecue we do for Easter at my house? I mean, we, we roll everything out. I mean, there's all kinds of food. We've got hundreds of eggs. We, we, we go and hunt them and find them. And then we hide them again and then go find them again. And then we, we, we literally take them out and hide them again. Now they're broken into pieces, falling apart in our hands. We find them again. It's awesome. That's it's what we do. It's what we do at Easter. That's what Easter is about. Not right now. Eventually. 
When I have time. You know, right now my kids are little. I got to take advantage of my time right now where they're little. And so we make our excuses and we say, well, eventually when, when the harvest is ready and I'm ready. And Jesus says, wake up. Don't you see the harvest is ripe right now? The harvest is ripe right now. And here's the thing. You're missing out on a joy, on a party, on a celebration. Because I've intended that the planters and the harvesters should celebrate together. Because what you don't realize is the reason that the harvest is ready is because somebody else got uncomfortable. And already went out and planted some seed. And there are people in heaven who have shared their faith, prayed, and now they're in heaven, and they've got their hat on, and they've got their blower, and they're going, come on, come on, if I, we just need a harvester. Who's going to harvest for us? They're ready. It's white. It's, it's, this is the time. Jesus, you got your hat. I got my hat. We're ready. Heaven is waiting to rejoice because seeds have been planted. There are people that are ripe to harvest So Jesus is saying, are you going to let your fear, your uncomfort, and your timetable stop you from missing out on the party, on the joy? Because I've called you to, to harvest where you didn't even plant. Reminds me of a story of a pastor. His name is Robert Morris end with this. Robert Morris tells a story that his grandfather, Joe Morris, was not a believer. And when his grandfather worked for the transportation department in Texas, he filled potholes. He happened to run across a man who worked in the same division for a short period of time. His name was was Ray Stevenson. And Ray Stevenson was one of these believers that didn't care about protocol and what it looked like and didn't care about comfort. He always wanted to tell people about Jesus. So when he meets Joe Morris, he tells Joe, hey, Joe, would you come over to my house? I want to talk to you about something. So Joe gets ready and says, sure, I'll come over. So he goes to his house, but as he's getting ready to go, his son, which is Robert Morris's dad, is 16 at the time. And he says, dad, you're going to go across town, right? Yeah. Can I drive you? Because he'd just gotten his license. So he gets in the car and he drives his dad, which is Robert Morris's grandpa, across town, and they walk into Ray Stevenson's house. Well, the son stays outside on the porch, and he listens through the screen door as Ray Stevenson tells Joe Morris about Jesus. At the end, he says, would you like to receive Christ? And Joe says, you know, I, I don't know. I want to think about it. And he goes, well, I tell you what, if you do want to receive Christ, let me share with you what you need to pray. And so he prays the prayer, salvation prayer. He says, thank you. He gets in the car and they drive away. And what this grandpa, Joe Morris, doesn't know is that that day, his son, 16 years old, who heard the prayer, prayed the prayer and accepted Jesus. They go home and over the years, the son begins to follow Jesus. He goes to college. He becomes a follower of Christ. He, he has his own business. He becomes a great giver. And his son becomes a believer whose name is Robert Morris, who pastors a massive church called Gateway Church in Texas. Now, his, Joe Morris' grandson 
begins to think about his grandpa, and this is 40 years later, and he begins to think, you know what? My grandpa is 78. He's getting close to, 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 to leaving this earth. His health isn't good. I want to make sure that he knows Jesus, that he's going to go to heaven. And so he goes to his grandpa, and he starts telling him about Jesus Christ and shares the gospel. And finally, Joe says, you know what, grand, grandson? I want to receive Jesus. But what you don't know is 40 years ago, there was a man named Ray Stevenson who told me, and I told him, I'm not ready. I want to think about it. He said, but I'm ready today. And so he accepted Christ that day. And a short time after, a few weeks later, he died. And as Robert was telling this story, he was thinking about his grandpa accepting Christ and this whole thing with Ray Stevenson. He thought to himself, I wonder if Ray Stevenson is still alive. Maybe he wants to know if he's still alive that Grandpa Joe accepted the Lord. So he looked in the phone book and he found the name Ray Stevenson. And he called it in a feeble voice, picked up on the phone, 81-year-old man named Ray Stevenson. He said, hello. He said, Mr. Stevenson, you, you don't know me, but you, do you remember a guy by the name of Joe Morris? And immediately the man, his, his voice picked up. He said, yes, of course. He said, I've been praying for Joe Morris to accept Jesus every day for the last 40 years. He said, he came to my house and I shared with him Christ. He said, I pray for him every day. And he said, man, you pray for him every day. Why do you pray for him every day? He said, well, here's what you don't know, uh, Mr. Stevenson, is that your, his son that drove you was on the porch and when you prayed the prayer over the dad, the son prayed the prayer and he accepted Jesus. And because he accepted Jesus, I accepted Jesus. And now I'm a pastor and I just recently led my grandpa to Jesus who now is with the Lord. And he said, I wanted to call you and let you know. And Ray Stevenson begins to weep on the phone. He says, why are you crying? And he says, and why have you prayed for him for 40 years? He said, because in the back of my Bible, I have a list of 10 names. And every one of those names has a check next to it of people who've accepted Jesus except one. And his name was Joe Morris. He said, when we get off the phone... I'm going to have the joy of grabbing my Bible after 40 years and putting a check next to his name. Because Jesus said, the field is ripe. One is planted. I'm just looking for someone who will harvest. I'm looking for someone who will go after the one. I want you to close your eyes.